be sure to follow our website on Twitter, at Hockey underscore Hertz, Cameron Walsh, at Walshy66, and Ryan Wilson, at Gunner Stull. Also, if you'd like to support the Hockey Hurts podcast, you can do so by going to the podcast page and sign up for a monthly donation. It is much appreciated. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for July 24th of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And the last few days we have a lot of news to talk about. The longtime New Jersey Devils president slash general manager Lou Lamarillo has stepped down and he has accepted the general manager position for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Braden Holtby signed a five-year 30 $0.5 million extension with the Washington Capitals, avoiding arbitration and avoiding that $8 million asking price that Holtby had. Uh, Alexander Semin finally signs with the Montreal Canadiens one year, $1.1 million. And the Pittsburgh Penguins make an excellent free agent signing. It was not a player. It was not a coach. It was not a member for their medical staff. It was analytics and stats guru Sam Ventura of one of the co-founders of War on Ice. All of these will be topics we'll be hitting on today. And I think we will start with goaltending and Braden Holtby's contract. Walshy. I think it's great for the Caps. I think the term takes him through to 30 years old um, so they can pick and choose whether where he's at in his career. It locks, it locks in really well. I mean, Holtby's great. Um, it's one of those things where you get there and look at what he's produced and you look at his comparables in regards to cap hit and production, and he's, he's, I think he's relatively cheap for what he's, for what he's providing. Um, you don't really hear Caps fans ragging out on, on their goalie. It's not usually him that's losing them games. So I, I think it's a good signing. It, for, for this next season coming through, it tightens them up on the cap a little bit, particularly when you've still got Marcus Johansson to sign, and that's a, that's an important signing for them. But they're, they're in a good spot. I think it, I think he's been really good for his entire career. Uh, I think Washington has made some strange choices, uh, given how good Holtby's been uh, electing to trade for Yarrow Halak. Uh, getting rid of, like, they've had Verlamov, Halak. Uh, anybody else I'm missing in between Holtby there? Uh, mm. Not that I can think of. But, you know, two decent goalies, and then they fall into this one as well, and they finally well, decided... Well, it's like the universe and, and Holtby, and I think they made the right one. So... Yes, um, definitely. Uh, Holtby... Now, I do not like paying goalies a, a lot of money, but <laughs> I think for this one, you're you're paying for future performance, at least I think you are, given that you said his contract term will take him to 30. Yeah, well, he's so 25. 20, okay, that's great. Um, he's, he's, he has plenty of gas left in the tank. Um, the 6.1 million, yeah, it's a little bit high, but here's here's some things I, I looked at that make me feel like he's totally justified to be paid this kind of money. My arguments always don't pay average goaltending a lot. I hope he does not fall into the average category. Um, the last five years, 2010 to 2015, uh, goaltenders who have played at least 5,000 minutes, so guys that have at least been somewhat regular starters in the league during that five-year stretch, 
Here are the even strength save percentages of the top five goaltenders. Tuka Rask leads the way at 9.34. Carey Price is second at 9.31. Henrik Lundqvist is also at 9.31. Corey Schneider also at 9.31. Number five, Braden Holtby, 9.30. So just goes to show you he's up there. Yep, I totally agree. And that's that's the difference with this particular goaltender signing is that his output is at least equivalent to what he's getting paid. Like, you can use Fleury as a good example of, I think he's overpaid for what he's provided in the past, even though last year would suggest that he's got the trend heading in the right direction. But he's 30 now. He's not 25 like Holtby. Like, you look at his direct comparables, he's like right between Corey Crawford and Cam Ward. And out of those three goalies with their cap hits, who would you prefer to have at, at six mil? Holtby, I would suggest. Did you mention Cam Ward? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I would rank Cam Ward third out of those options. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, and he's he's getting paid, uh, what, 100000 a year more than, than Ryan Miller? And Miller's thirty five. Yeah, that wasn't so, a good signing. Yeah. Vancouver's just made terrible goaltending decisions. They, with Luongo, then Schneider then signing Miller when they had Lack, and then trading Lack away. It's so past performance sort of stuff that it's it's a little, a little baffling. But you, you have a look at the, the goaltenders that are in cap-wise here, that, that are up there in, in cost. There's only Tuka Rask won a Stanley Cup, but as a backup, you've got Corey Crawford has won one. Well, he's won two, I should say. I apologise. Um, and then you've got Jonathan Quick, who's who's won two, and then Fleury, who's won one. The rest of all those goalies in the top, was it sixteen? I think I've got there. None of them have won a cup, so it's it's a tough. It's really hard to work out where you want to put your money for your cap hit. Yeah, um, but I do think there is value if you can find a goalie that has separated himself from from the from the pack and there aren't very yep. many of them. And um, I, I just don't think the casual fan really grasps that Braden Holtby is that good. Yeah, he is. Yep. If you're in top five of even strength save percentage over that length period, he's, he's right up there. And why even strength save percentage? Because it's a better indicator of future performance. It's more stable than the special team save percentage, which can fluctuate Pretty violently year to year, whereas... Well, let's do the great example of that. Yeah, if you look at Henrik Lundqvist, uh, shorthanded save percentage, it looks like the world's funnest roller coaster. Uh, <laughs> but if you look at his even strength save percentage, um, you can really understand why he's... You could argue he's the best goalie in the game because his consistency of having just terrifically good high or even strength save percentages... It, his track record speaks to just having all of that consistency. So what does what does the Holtby signing do for the filling out of the roster next year, or next season for, for the Caps? What happens with Ryan Johansson? Uh, Marcus Johansson? Marcus, sorry. Good grief. Wrong club. Sorry. You know what? He... he... That's a tough one because these flash signs of having some, some ability... But he hasn't like totally hit his ceiling, so to speak. Yeah, or, or maybe he has. 
But it's and not. He's, he's making. He's leaving people wanting more. I would think. Yep, I agree. You you watch him and you just go, oh, it's almost all there, and then it sort of vanishes for five or six games. And if he gets hot at the right time for the Caps, he could be a difference maker. It's tough to pick you on him. I didn't really read where he. We we all heard Holtby asked for the eight mil before arbitration. I haven't heard anything from Johansson's side of things. I, I haven't come yep. across that. Uh, he did have a career high in points last year with 47 with 20 goals. Uh, that was up three points from the prior year. But he did increase his goal total from 8 to 20 in, in 2014-15. So he's 24 years old. He's probably going to make, what, $3 million-ish? Well, that's the thing. Do you just use Kuznetsov as the comparable in regards to what they expect? I mean, if he gets that three mil, that leaves him at one point two cap space. And Kuznetsov's yeah. better than him. No, I, I realize, I, I do understand that. So if you cap him out at three mil as a max, the caps are sitting pretty. Yeah, he's an RFA. He's got limited options here. I don't think anybody's going to be looking to offer sheet yeah. him, so to speak. I was going to give up draft picks for him. And money, so. Yeah, you said they had 4.2 in cap space left? Yep. Yeah, that's what they've got hanging around at the moment. I think he's it for their signings. And that, that roster they've, they've compiled for next year, I thumbs up, I reckon it's fantastic. I, I hate that fact, being a Penguins fan. Um, that division just keeps getting harder and harder to be competitive in. Boy, I tell you what, if if Brooks Orpik did not make five point five million and they gave that to like an Airhoff or a Cody Franzen or Sakara, yeah. oh man, they'd they'd be sitting in the driver's seat. Yeah. And that, that Orpik signing is the killer. He just yeah. I mean I know that Caps fans and you know, certain commentators think that that signing was great, but not at that cap hit. That's the argument against it. No, he's, he's not a good player either. I don't care what cap hit he's at. He's been de- <laughs> he's been declining for years. He wasn't good last year either. No, was it, is it, was it Carlson or Osner, Osner he played for? Whoever it was carried him. I know that. No, they got a good team. Um, Third-line center, we've talked in the past about this with Eric Fair leaving, and he wasn't always their third-line center. Um, it, it's looking more and more like a, a Brooks-like maybe will be taking that. Oh, and that's I, that's, I'd like Brooks-like. I reckon he's, he's quality, and the fact that he can be a third-line center and can, at a pinch, if someone gets injured, be a second-line center, that's, that's great for him. I don't know if he can do this, the top six stuff anymore as a center. Maybe if he shifted to wing. Um, uh, he can fill in. It's just the thing. He can fill in. And that's it's one of those things where you get there and you go, you've got you've got Backstrom and Kuznetsov. They're your top two. Um, they're the guys that are going to carry the team. Like That's the reality. You want to have centers that, that give you you know strong puck possession. Those two players can certainly do that. Um, you know, Brooks likes, uh, I can't remember, he's just over 50%, I think. So if that's your third line option, thumbs up to that. Yeah, if he can indeed play at that level, that that's a nice thing to slot in there. I think Kuznetsov's due for a larger role. He may be the second line center. 
And we've stole, and we've spoken uh, extensively about Oshie and Williams being such great additions for their right wing vacancies that they've had. Yeah, they've got a, this this Capitals team looks looks great. I'd like to see them explode uh, out of the gates and just give the team confidence to to play well the rest of the year. They, they still it's one of those things where. You kind of hope that if things go a little south at times, Barry Trotz doesn't just lock everything up. But um, they could still score last year, so there's no reason for me to think that that will be the case. And, you know, with this five-year signing, that the guy in the net is going to do a good job keeping the puck out. Yeah, they don't have to, to... The players, the coaching staff, they don't have to worry about any of that now. Just go out and play. They know that, that Holtby will bail them out, Um so the team should feel a hell of a lot better, I would hope. Yeah, it's one less headache they have, and they can focus in other areas. So good signing by them. I think we both agree on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, the out-of-left-field move of the week, or maybe even the offseason, is the Leafs hiring Lou Lamarillo uh, as their general manager, uh, having him... Having Lou stepped down from the Devils, where he's been his entire career, did some pretty great things at one time for the Devils. Those are more in the rearview mirror than kind of looking in the present. Uh, did you see this coming? I don't think I saw anybody report on even a rumor. No, I don't. I don't. No, I had no thought process of... Lou Lamorello being general manager of any other club, I thought he'd just sit there as president, pitch in a little bit with Shero, and then retire at some stage. But he obviously still has a taste for hands-on involvement. So what the hell? I mean, better the devil you know. You know exactly what you're getting with Lamorello. Uh, the difference here will be he has a whole heap of salary cap to play with you. It'll be the first time he'll really be able to just spend away willy-nilly. And perhaps, a, I don't know, a more prime destination to attract talent to? Oh, who knows? That's a tough one to say. You hear a lot of... Toronto's way more appealing than Newark, I can tell you that. No, I get that aspect of it, but it's still you still hear a lot of players go, no, I don't want to go to Toronto because it's Toronto. And it would be nice for that to stop being the case. So it'll be interesting to see what philosophy Lamorello takes in regards to what he thinks a team requires to be good. that's I think that's the thing with general managers now, that fans and, I don't know, players need to know from the general manager what's expected in regards to what they think is a, a winning roster. Um, it can be constructed in many different ways. We'll see whether he thinks park possessions, you know, high on that priority list. I think... Toronto's really doubling down with some of this character stuff, though. Shanahan talked about getting the locker room right, and there goes Phil Kessel for what I consider an underwhelming return. Uh, you get, yeah, but it, we discuss, we discuss it. You're always going to get an underwhelming return for a star slash superstar. You never get fair value across. No, that's true, but like they didn't have to move him. No, I, I agree with that, but. I, I don't really have complaints with Shanahan saying, I want to get the locker room right. There was something wrong in the locker room. If they want to peg that all on, on Kessel, then that's their prerogative. But 
um, there might still be changes that are locker room changes before they start trying to invest in that change that they said that they want to. They want to get different sorts of players in. Um, it'll be interesting to see. It's just funny that the highest played forward on that roster is a player that will never step on the ice again. Oh, uh, Horton? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we know what that trade was. It was a team that had endless resources taking advantage of a team that didn't. Yep, and that's the, that's the reality. Um, I don't, it's the thing, like, I just don't know with the Lamorello signing. It's like, you know, a few Devils fans and riders are like, he's a bit out of touch in regards to what a team needs and he's, Drafting record hasn't been particularly fantastic over the last few years, and it's becoming evident that this is a draft and develop league now with the cap. So, you know, you want to hope that he doesn't have too much of an overriding arc on what their their drafting team does in regards to putting a draft together and drafting players. They've got other guys that should have more experience uh, and better contacts than, than Lou does uh, in the drafting side. So hopefully he'll delegate well. And it'll all come together well. He is leaving a team that is, in my opinion, the worst situation of the 30 NHL teams. And he made all the decisions for that. This is my argument. No, I know. I'm just saying. like, The Devils yeah, no, are I agree. a mess. They have no quick turnaround. Like, Buffalo got their Eichel and now it's full steam ahead. The Devils aren't even in that, like, first year of losing where the Sabres still got Sam Reinhardt. Like, they have nothing. Well, you can pray as a Devils fan that they just, they are crap on the ice and they tank. You can pray that their veterans are finally past it. and oh, they, they are. The, <laughs> no, no, but they hit the cliff and they just totally fall off the map is what I mean. Like... Patrick Eliash can still play. He's not as productive as he used to be, but he's still a good player. You want, if you're a Devils fan, you want players like that to just hit the wall, just be totally bad, and just have the team tank out. You know, I mean, apparently this particular draft that's coming through, the top five players coming through that draft are quality cornerstone type players. How it all pans out in 12 months' time, you just you never know with kids. But there are some quality players there that the Devils could build around, but they've got to be bad enough to get that option. At one point in time, Lou Lamarillo was a very progressive general manager, but that was more in the 80s, bringing Slava Fetisov over from, from Russia, early 90s kind of stuff. But as, as the years have gone on, I don't think he's really... This last decade hasn't been great. It's just, it's just weird when you hear all this talk about moving forward with progressive thinking in regards to how they analyse the game and want to construct a roster. Lemorello feels like he's a bit of a dinosaur in that aspect of it. Like he hasn't jumped. Who knows? Maybe behind the scenes he has jumped on board. He's just made the final call and his instincts have been wrong, which is even more of a bad sign if his instincts about modern hockey are wrong because he's going to second-guess himself now. And you go, you don't really want that. He seems like a general manager of conviction. So if he's thinking about doing particular things, I don't know if it, I don't know if it fits with what, you know, Kyle Dubas has looked at trying to do. 
I guess I don't understand. Like, if the hiring is because he's experienced, quote-unquote, I just don't get it. I, I don't think that means anything. Now, the only thing you could sell me on is that he has contacts around the league and good interpersonal relationships. So let's say other people yeah. in Toronto's front office are kind of doing more of the evaluating and targeting of people, and maybe Lou can be the facilitator of getting things done. Hey, that works for me. If that is indeed the setup, I, I, I suppose that would be good. But the idea that Kyle Dubas needs some kind of, uh, much like in Pittsburgh, uh, you could almost say that the Jim Rutherford uh, role is similar to what Lou Lamarillo is going to be doing for Kyle Dubas, what Rutherford is apparently doing for Jason Botterill. What was, uh, what's Lamarillo's contract link? Because oh, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen I, I honestly can't say offhand. Yeah. No, no, you get there, and the thought process you have Rutherford, two years, bang, it'll go on to, to Botterill would be the, the assumption there. Um, yeah, with Lamarillo, you, it's a really good point. I hadn't sort of thought that, that part of it through. Um, yeah, he may well have been hired under that pretext, which seems silly to me as well. But that's sort of what you, you try and justify why they've gone in this direction. That's sort of a good way to look at it. And Shanahan was drafted by who? Yeah, good point, actually. <laughs> so, you know, there's that connection. So that's that's two down out of the four topics we wanted to discuss. Which one do you want to go to next? Um, let's uh, let's go with actually one last thing on uh, Lou Lamarillo that I thought was interesting that I forgot to bring up, uh, and combine that with Mike Babcock being there. Since we mm-hmm. started, uh, not, since the community has started to uh, do the advanced statistics, possession, Corsi, and that stuff was the first year was two thousand and seven oh eight. So since yep. 2007, which would be an eight-year sample size, the top two teams in Corsi against per 60, so the best shot suppression teams, New Jersey number one at 45.8, Detroit number two, 46.9, and you have Lamarillo and Babcock here trying to fix one of the absolute worst teams in recent memory at shot suppression. So I just thought that was interesting. All right. We, that, you may have answered the question we were asking. That might be why they got him on board. So, there's that. Now we can move on. <laughs> uh, All right, let's let's go to the Canadian. Great, great signing. No risk. Perfect. I knew, knew you'd be all over this. What's the risk? No, no, I agree. What were the other teams scared of at 1.1 million? How could you not... Take a chance on a 40-goal scorer, even if he's coming off a, a year where he didn't play well and had an injury. So that's this. This is the thing. You get there and go. Were there other teams that? that how can other teams not be in on this? Like I think it's great for Montreal, and it really does fill a hole that they need filled. But we're, we're, I haven't really heard that. You know, Simon was sort of no one's talking to him. Then all of a sudden he's signed. Good for the Canadians. Mm-hmm. Here's what I don't get. Very. Everybody's so worried about this quote-unquote lazy, enigmatic player, Alex Summon, and he's 
coming off a buyout, one year at 1.1 million. Here's just a quick list of players that make more than Alex Semin this upcoming year. Brandon Bowling, Tanner Glass, Jared Bull, Gregory Campbell, Derek Anglin, Sean Thornton, Joe Vitale, Steve Downey, Mike Brown, Steve Ott, Derek Dorsett, Brandon Proust, Chris Thorburn. You know, Brandon's 100 <laughs> you know 100% that those guys stink. That's what they're giving you. Stench. <laughs> it's true. I know. The guy that's supremely lazy may give you 30 goals. So why take the for sure stench as opposed to taking the chance on a guy with some upside? It's so funny how these perceptions work. It's just it's the it's the way it is. There's prejudice against certain types of players uh, in a positive and a negative in a negative fashion. So you know you and I both think guys like Tanner Glass shouldn't have a role in the league. Full stop. Yet they still manage to get signed because of perceived locker room and perceived toughness value they provide. It's it's the reality. I don't know whether that sort of stuff will ever shift out um, in in that context, but. You know, Salmon's been nailed lazy for years, um, which is why the actual... (laughs) If his underlying numbers are good, and they are, even if he is quote-unquote lazy, the end results are still there in a positive fashion. So you're so worried about the aesthetics of how he's getting it done. Why not just look at the results at this point? Okay, so... So you get there with that and, and you do the flip side of it and just use our regular freaking whipping horse, Brandon Sutter. He scored 21 goals last year and there are some pretty, pretty finishes in amongst those 21 goals. He provides nothing else on the ice. The puck's in his end most of the time. Um, he doesn't win a board battle, but he works hard while he's trying to win a board battle. And he's got a sack load of fans in regards to, no, no, we've got to keep him, we've got to re-sign him. Semin, on the other hand, gives you everything you want in a forward, but has this perception of being lazy and looking like he just drops his bundle occasionally, that he still provides better possession numbers, substantially so, and than Brandon Sutter. So, People probably aren't going to believe that either, but he is. But that's, once again, one of those things where high-quality brain forwards are usually very good penalty killers. They think the game well. So it, it really, I, I hope... One, for Montreal's sake, and two, for Alexander Seven. If he does have any pride in, in who he is as a hockey player, which you would assume he does, I hope he blitzes it, absolutely blitzes it. Scores 40, you know, positive possession player all year, good on the penalty kill. I have a feeling that, that Michelle Terry will use him on, on the penalty kill, to be honest, um, and, and go from there. It would just be It would be a really good reclamation... Uh, project for a reputation more so than actual statistical output. And even if he comes up short of everything that you just said by a lot, he still makes less than Tanner Glass. Who cares? Okay, it didn't, he makes it didn't work. Than, he, he makes less than Tory Mitchell and Zach Cassian on that particular roster, and Zach Cassian is still an unknown. Like you said, if Semin is lazy and still giving you 55% possession... At lazy, he's still better than Zach Cassian. The problem being, well, it's interesting. Montreal has started to make some okay 
kind of moves, like acquiring Jeff Petrie, uh, a guy that, for some reason, the defense-starved Edmonton Oilers didn't value, which was a little bit strange, but... And then they keep a guy around like Mike, Michael Terrian as their head coach, who flies in the face of anything analytically. But they've had success with him. That's the problem you've got. Well, Carey Price has had success. It's not the way they look at it. I agree with you. His success in his coaching career can be directly traced to goalies playing awesome. 07-08, Marc-Andre Fleury, career year. It's where he earned that reputation in both, like that he's a good goalie. He was awesome in both the regular season and could have been a Conn Smythe winner if Pittsburgh had upset Detroit in the final. Next year, Fleury uh, below average. Oh, what do you know? Penguins still are a crappy possession team with a bad goalie. At least for that year, he was bad. And he gets canned before the playoffs. What changed? Just the coach. Well, you know, yeah, eventually. But nothing changed other than Fleury's goaltending. Like, his system was identical. He rides his coaches. Oh, his coach. He rides his goalies. There's no way about it. But it's one of those things where I find it. I would find it difficult for the Canadians, who everyone admits played above what everyone was expecting of them, and instead of giving it all to Kerry Price, which they should, they say that the coach has got a lot to do with it as well. Coaches, coaches' results ride on their goal. I mean, you look at. Look at the Penguins in regards to Dan Valsmer and, and Mark Andre Fleury. Um, it, it's a tough gig. If Fleury played like he did last year, those years the Penguins teams were loaded, they'd probably win the cup. I mean, Fleury's my favourite player, but he cost them a couple of cups, I reckon. At least uh, deeper runs. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see the Michael Terrian Alexander Semin relationship, considering how the PA Parento. Uh, one went down last year. In the last two years, Parento and Semin have very similar stat lines. So, well, same kind of character assaults as well. Well, uh, I hope I, I hope for the Canadian sake that it works. It would show a progressive thought process. It pays off generally when things work. You try and repeat that process. Yeah, I just can't believe a team that wants to roll four scoring lines wouldn't take a chance on a 40-goal scorer who's only 31 years old making $1.1 million. And uh, I am talking about Pittsburgh. Oh, but it's, it's, not just, it's not just Pittsburgh. Like I know he would never go back to Washington, but he would solve... He would help create more, more depth At for that Capitals million, team. We were talking about their cap situation. They could actually have fit that in. Yeah, but you, you look at you look at the Rangers as well. That that, that would help some situations with them. Um, let's see, I'm just trying to get Buffalo. God, you you could even well Buffalo, yeah, but you could ship him out to Vancouver as well. Um, you have a look at the mess that he probably would work in LA. Um, Nashville, it's always, could, could even Nashville out. could always use more offense. That's a good point. Like Anaheim could squeeze him in. Um, it's just, you get there and just go, I wonder, it's just, yeah, 
there are other teams that could have done with him that I think are closer to winning a cup than than Montreal. Um, and not saying Vancouver's closer by any stretch, but they just didn't. Just yeah, like, that's the thing I think that baffles me the most about it is that someone else didn't jump on that one point one. Tough to know. Don't aren't privy to the details. Who reached out to him? If he had hesitations with going certain places, uh, but. The end of the day, we always talk about risk reward and cap value and all that stuff. One point one million for the skill set that he brings is there's no risk there. All reward. And if it doesn't work, hey, if it doesn't work, trade him at the deadline. Someone will take a chance on him. Seriously, they will. Yeah, you're right. You're not wrong at all on that. So, well done to the Montreal Canadiens. And I suppose last and certainly not least, Pittsburgh Penguins hired Sam Ventura, of co-founder of War on Ice, as a consultant to run some analytics for the team. And there was a team, well, there's plenty, but a team that's considered a contender on a year-to-year basis that rides at superstars but doesn't really fill out the proper depth. That would be the Penguins, and you can really start to target proper depth when using proper analytics. I, th- I think one of the things that ticks me off about filling out depth, people say having Craig Adams in the lineup or Bo Bennett in the lineup, flipping between one of those two guys, they're not the decisions that win you a Stanley Cup. But they are, because the way the Penguins have been constructed over the past three or four years, their superstars can't carry the entire load on their own. So you have to, as you trickle down through the roster, you're asking to get more out of less dollar for, dollar for possession or dollar for production. So adding someone in like this helps a team achieve that. Because the Penguins are always up against the cap. They're always struggling to find someone else to help out because they can't afford them. So why not try and find a way to squeeze an extra player in at a a lower cost? I think it's brilliant. Now it remains to be seen um, what this where he'll slot in and and if I believe it's Jason Carmanos that runs the analytics department for the Penguins. If he can even take Sam's information, bring it to Jim Rutherford, and have it be taken seriously. Uh, I imagine they didn't hire him to, to just not listen to him. I, I don't think that is the case. But, you know, they'll have to to listen to him to get value out of him. He's very bright. He's perfect in the sense that you cannot question he has a phd in statistics i mean what what more do you need but he also has a hockey background he was hired to coach the be the assistant coach for the carnegie mellon university where he's now a professor uh he played for the club team there so he has a hockey background and the love for statistics and has combined the two and i the few times i've i've talked to him on online he's been very kind and generous and, and engaging and I think he does a great job of communicating his ideas. And when you're talking about that's, analytics, 
and maybe it not being accepted by everybody, I, I think he's the right person to maybe talk to people that aren't so into it. I think he would be good at communicating why he's doing what he's doing and what it means and maybe sell that point a little bit better than some others could. And that that's the important part. You've got to get you've got to get that across. You've got to get the people that you're talking to to understand why you think this is important and why you think they should make that decision. Because ultimately, he'll give them the information, but it is on Rutherford's shoulders. He's the general manager. He's the one that's going to cop the flack, um, whether it's positive or, or negative, for whatever decision is, is, is finally made on, on the information that is presented to him. But if you can communicate that across well, um, rather than being a, uh, an internet warrior and just saying, look, here are the numbers, these are the facts, do what I say, then you've got more likelihood of him being listened to. Mm-hmm. And I... War on Ice actually held a um, analytics conference in Pittsburgh last November that I attended. And I was actually sitting by a baseball writer, James Santelli, and he had he did a presentation that discussed how communication was such an important part to get the ideas from the coach's office and front office to the players and have everybody on the same page and how it's important to have somebody that can facilitate all of that. And I thought that was an interesting presentation. And it just, it's funny that people that were speaking at the conference that Sam put on made good points and actually sold why probably Sam is a good hire. <laughs> so look, as, as a Penguins fan, all you can do is just hope that it's, it, it, it Produces something positive for the team. That's all you can hope. This for. has a long-lasting impact, more so than acquiring a big-name player. Sometimes, because even bad, bad, bad teams make trades to acquire good players. Like, there's no secret in finding out who the really great players are. It's usually pretty obvious. It's finding the Diamonds in the rough that don't make a lot but produce a lot as far whether that be a, a tangible offense possession shot suppression whatever their niche is if you can underpay what market value is that's always a good thing if you can fill your top six out with overperforming players generally you're going to win unless one of your superstars or quote-unquote core players totally underperforms. Um, if your core players performing to the level they're supposed to, it's the players around them that get your team into the cup final and then ultimately win the cup. Hey, it's it's another um, tool in the toolbox for the Pittsburgh Penguins, one that they lacked, one that they need. So one tool obviously is not going to fix everything, but... Um, We'll call this one a multi-tool. A little versatility. Gives them more flexibility, more knowledge. And I think the the other thing from the article that Jason Mackey of the Pittsburgh Tribune, he's the one that uh, wrote the article about the hiring, is that Carmanos was looking to hire a team of analytic analytical people, not just one. So I think that's good too. 
as a fan of Pittsburgh, I hope they keep looking at the game in that, that direction, to be, to be honest. So I thought that was really good. Um, just goes to show, hard work pays off. He's really good in this field. He worked hard and uh, being rewarded. So best of luck to Sam. And any other? Well, I guess we could say uh, minor Penguins news. Tom Fitzgerald leaving as an assistant general manager, so Pittsburgh only has 25 assistant general managers left. <laughs> and he was responsible for development and scouting, if I'm correct, and that hasn't been a strength for the organization lately, so I don't know. Yeah, but he went where he's comfortable. Yep, with Bray Sherrill. They have a positive relationship, and... Uh, during the World Championships, I believe the two were seen together. Uh, interesting, though. Remember the whole um, penguin, penguins on the draft floor, everybody else, the tables were being stacked up, everybody was leaving, and, and they were just there kind of arguing? Uh, all right, I believe it. it was Tom Fitzgerald that was screaming at Jim Rutherford during that. So, You think that may have something to do with the... No, just I'm just saying that, that, that happened, and now he's, you know, moving on. Hey, maybe he realized that he just doesn't think they just... They were never going to agree on anything, and it, it's not it's not a conducive working environment. I'm not saying he got pushed, but you do get to a point in time where you go, this isn't going to work for me, and, and get into an environment where I can I can be positive rather than negative. So it, it is kind of it is kind of funny how it all times out, isn't it? I don't think it's going to make uh, much of a difference for Pittsburgh. But... Not with, like you said, the 25 they've got. <laughs> so. Anything else? I've got, I've got nothing. I'm tapped out. It's like, like we always say, it's the dog yeah, days. Yeah, the... we had some good, good topics this week, though. That, that kind of came pretty late in the week, too. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the thing it, it sort of popped up Thursday, Friday so that works out quite well yeah so next week hopefully a few more I I don't know arbitration hearings gotta start creeping up I don't know how many players are still left for them but maybe we'll have some to talk about there I think they're all finalized by the time we do our podcast next week they'll all be finalized so we'll have some stuff to discuss then at least Coyotes Apparently reached a deal with their city council, blah, 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 whatever. Just another day with that. <laughs> two, years more, two years more of pain. Just let me know. Just let me know move. Yep. Uh, and that's not necessarily move out. It's it just move away from Glendale. They could stay in Phoenix and move into the city. Yeah, I think that would actually work. So they don't have to leave Phoenix, which is what the league doesn't want them to do. They just have to work out how to get where the population is. Yeah, so. Well, that's it from me. And me. Alrighty. Uh, We shall see you next week.